Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are in the middle of a Christmas series on the forgotten hymns of Christmas. And um, I'm actually excited about the, the, the song that we are going to be focusing on today because it's actually probably out of all of the songs, it's probably one of the most uh, famous or well, famous or well-known, which I know may seem a little paradoxical. Well, wait a minute, I thought we we're talking about forgotten hymns. How is it well-known? Well, I think what happens is people have just forgotten where it's come from. And, uh, but this morning, it's, uh, what you're going to find out is I think you're going to be familiar with this, even if maybe you're not necessarily familiar with coming to church on Christmas or during the Christmas season. In fact, I was just thinking about this on the way to church today. Um, and for those of you who don't know who, my, who I am, I'm Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at Inspire. But um, uh, this is actually going to be my wife and, and my kids and, and my first Christmas at Inspire. This is going to be our first... Yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering if there's anybody else, maybe you, maybe this is your first time here, but maybe you've been here for three months. Maybe you've been here for nine months. Maybe you've been here for 11 months. And this is also going to be your first Christmas at Inspire. Are you brave enough to just wave your hand and join me? Wow. Look at that. This is going to be your first Christmas on Inspire. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I think one of the reasons why the text that we're going to read this morning, this forgotten hymn, has somehow come into our culture is actually by a little guy named Charlie Brown. How many of you guys remember Charlie Brown's Christmas? Anybody watch that? Yeah, Charlie Brown. And it's funny because he's trying to put together the Christmas play. If you guys remember this scene in the movie, he's trying to put together the Christmas play. He's getting frustrated. Nothing is working out. They doesn't know what to do. And so he just kind of throws his hands up and he says, that's it, forget it. And he goes and he turns the Lionel and he says, I guess I just don't know what Christmas really is all about. And, and then from the top of his lungs, he yells, does anybody know what Christmas is about? What it's really about? And Linus with his blue blanket looks at him and says, sure, Charlie, I'll tell you what it's about. And he begins to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Will you join me this morning as we read? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all people. Today, in a town of David, not in Narnia, right? Not in Middle Earth, not in a galaxy far, far away, but in an actual town in history, in time, in a town called David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes, living in a, ma- I'm sorry, lying in a manger. And so that was the news that the angel brought. And then look what happens after the angel gives that news. Verse 13, 
suddenly, everybody say suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, and here's the song, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men whom his favor rests. Some of you might be like, wait a minute, I thought it said something different. We'll hit that in a minute. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing, right, that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the feed trough, which is, which is a manger, right? When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Forgotten Hymn of Christmas. This song actually carries a lot with it, and I won't have time to do the text, the text justice this morning, but if we were to just ask the text one simple question, how about this? How should we respond to the birth of Jesus Christ? See, the Son of God is born into the world, Christmas. So what do you do about that? I mean, how do we respond? Well, actually, I think the text gives us three answers that we'll look at this morning. And I'm going to start at the bottom, then go to the top, and end in the middle. And here's the three. Ready? Hear well, fear not, and have peace. Hear well, fear not, and have peace. Let's begin. Number one, hear well. Um, at the very bottom of the passage, um, it's, and it's actually the least famous part of the passage, uh, but yet what you see is you see Luke talking about hearing. We're told in verse 17, when they had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word concerning what was, had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. They heard a message, then they went and they saw, and then they spread the word, the word, word. And, and they spread this message, and people were amazed and believed. What we see is we see stages here, right? Because what we see is we see the angels talking to the shepherds, and then the shepherds speak to everybody else. Did you catch that? Angels talk to shepherds, and then the shepherds spoke to everybody else. Interesting, Right? What, and, I, and I think what is fascinating about this is what Luke is telling us about the importance of hearing well and how we hear the message, the message. When my wife and I were first starting to date, um, it was like everything she said, every word she said, every single breath and period and dot and exclamation mark, whatever it was, comma, that came out of her mouth, I was just hanging on, you know. This is a while ago. We were young. I think they're going to, and, and so, but, but, you know, it was, it was dirty. Yeah. It was during that time where, you, you know how it is, you give them a call and you could just be on the phone talking about nothing for hours. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, hey, babe, what you doing? Nothing. What you doing? Nothing. 
about like two hours of that, right? And then you get into the breathing part, you're just, you know, and you're like, I like how you breathe. You know, it's just romantic. It's just, you know, you get the butterflies. No matter what, she could have said cheese and I would have just been, you know, head over heels, whatever it was. You know, she said, give me a glass of water. Okay, you know, every word, right? And we get married and some years go by. (laughs) And one of the ongoing issues in our marriage is how well I listen to Becca. In fact, this has happened several times where something surprises me and Becca will say, why did that surprise you? I've been talking to you about it. I asked you about it. You said your opinion about it. You okayed it. You approved it. We had a whole conference. We debated about it, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any wives out there that be like, yes, amen. Thank you, Jesus, right? Right? And I'm just like, I'm sorry, you know. And she said, didn't you hear me? Didn't you hear me? And and the answer is, well, yes and no. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I mean, I heard you. I remember it now that you said it again, and you're saying it in an angry tone. I I really understand. Yep, got it. Got it. Right? But, but, but the reality is, but did I actually, did I ponder it? Did I think about it? Did I think about what that means? Did I think about the implications? No. And what Luke is telling us about it here in this passage is it's easy to hear and not hear. How do we hear the message of God, the word of God? How should we respond? Mary, by the way, is in a great example here because what we see in this little paragraph, and they're very easy to miss, is, is first of all, this is the, the, or, the, the, how ordinary the word of God usually comes to most people. Most people, the word of God comes to most people in a very ordinary way. Notice the shepherds got angels, but everybody else got a shepherd. See that? Everybody everybody wants angels. Angel shows up in your living room, bam, while you're driving next to your car, bam. I mean, you're going to pay attention, right? Everybody wants angels, but but usually what happens is what we see here is, is, listen, the shepherds got angels, but everyone else just got a shepherd. Just a shepherd. And, and if you've been to Christmas services long enough, if you've come to church during the Christmas season long enough, you, you are well familiar with the fact that shepherds were on part of the bottom sector, the bottom section of the totem pole in society. They were not scholars, right? They, 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 they weren't magistrates. They weren't even soldiers, right? They were just ordinary people. And yet they were the ones to come out and give the world the message. Give the world the message. This actually reminds me of of, of the Bible itself, the authors of the Bible. We see Moses and Isaiah and Peter and Paul. We see people who who wrote the Bible under the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And, And we know that most of them had these crazy encounters, whether it be with angels or visions or, or God or uh, with Jesus Christ himself, they, they got revelations, they got the spectacular, and the rest of us get a book. The rest of us get a book, right? Right? Which is extremely easy not to pay attention to. It's extremely easy, right? Especially January 1st comes along. We're like, hey, we're going to read our Bible all, you know, all year. So you start in Genesis, you get to Genesis, and then that promise dies by the time you hit Leviticus chapter 3, right? Usually does. 
right? Because it's, it's, it's very easy to not listen. It's very hard to pay attention, right? Because let's be honest, we have to ask questions and we have to reread it and we have to figure this out. We have to pay attention, we have to go back and we have to read it again. But that's the point. Most of us get the word of God, get God's message, what God is trying to say to all of us in very ordinary ways. And it'd be easy not to listen, not to pay attention to And even Mary herself, Mary did get an angel. But notice what happens when the shepherds came to Mary. Mary didn't be like listening to them and be like, oh, you know what? That's cool and all, but, uh, you know, I had an angel come to me, so I don't need to listen to you, right? No, that's not what it says she did. It says she treasured those words in her heart and she pondered on them. She pondered. I love that Mary didn't say, I don't have to listen to these shepherds, you know, shy an angel, you know, come to me directly. No, she pondered. She listened, Right? It it means, in other words, she put it into context. It means that she connected it. She she took what what they were saying and she began to connect that. And and she began to kind of ask these questions. It means means to say, wait, how does this fit in with everything else that I know? How does this make sense to the rest of my life? How does this connect to how I'm living now? When you're you're pondering things, you're you're trying to connect it. You're trying to figure it out. You're, You're thinking about it, right? But she doesn't just ponder it. It also says she treasured. Treasure has more, more to do with emotions. It has more, more to do with the heart. Treasure literally means to keep something alive, right? Like keeping a fire alive by feeding it wood or keeping a little kitten alive by nursing it. It's to keep something alive. And we're told that she doesn't just ponder the word of God and the message of God. She doesn't just know it intellectually, right? But she fans the flames in her her heart. She takes it all the way down deep until it, she relishes it, until she experiences it, until it means everything to her, until she senses it in her heart to treasure it, to treasure. And, 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 and treasuring isn't so much a technique as it is an attitude, right? Do not underestimate, listen, do not underestimate your ability to hear and not hear the word of God. The fact that most people's hearts hear but don't hear. That's the fact. Most of our hearts, we hear, but we don't hear. And what Luke is suggesting, that what he's calling us to do, especially with this Christmas message, is hear well. Hear well. But, but see, in this little song sung from the angels, it's actually telling us so much more. It, it, it's not just telling us to hear well, but it's also telling us to fear not. Fear not. In fact, the King James Version says, and lo, the angels of the Lord came up uh, upon them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were sore afraid. Now, we don't talk that way anymore in Elizabethan uh, old English language. We don't talk that way. I think my grandfather, I actually thought my grandfather talked like this. It was so, just his normal speech. He was just, he, 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 his etiquette and the way he spoke just sounded as if he was just talking like old King James Version Bible all the time. You know what I mean? And, and it, was just, it was just crazy. But most of us don't talk that way, right? Uh, we don't use these things like sore afraid. And, and, and here's why. It means to be terrified, but, but it actually means to be megaphobic. Megaphobic. The Greek there is megaphobic. Phobio for fear and mega for big, magnified, huge. In other words, they were mega afraid. They were mega afraid. They were terrified. 
And the angel does not ignore that fact because the angel comes and says, do not be afraid. That's what it says here, right? Do not be, fear not and behold, behold, look and see, look and see, behold. What I like and what I want us to listen and to hear is the angel says this, the angel is trying to get us to understand and Luke's trying to get us to understand is, listen, we know your life can be filled with terror, but you don't have to be afraid anymore because of what I'm about to say, fear not, fear not. Fear not, fear not. It's interesting how when God shows up, people are terrified. Isn't that crazy? How, how when God shows up, when God actually shows up, it, it, people become terrified. It reminds me of the Garden of Eden, right, with Adam and Eve. And, and it's kind of hard to get here and not remember the first time that God showed up in his glory and everybody was terrified. It's like, here's the glory of God, here's people terrified. Here's the glory of God, here's people terrified. And the first time we see that is in the Garden of Eden. Here's the glory of God, and two people were terrified in the Garden of Eden. And here's what happened. Adam and Eve originally were put in paradise and in the garden, and because they had this perfect relationship with God, there was no fear in their lives at all. They didn't, there was no fear in their lives because they had this perfect relationship, this whole relationship, this complete relationship with God. So there was no fear at all. In fact, if we had a perfect relationship with God, we would not fear at all. You say, well, wait a minute. How do you know I'm, I'm afraid? Oh, there's a lot of things we're afraid of, right? Like abandonment or rejection or failure, Right? But if we are completely filled with the love of God, we wouldn't be afraid. Here's something else we're afraid of. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of circumstances that are beyond our control. We're afraid of bad things happening. We're scared of that. We're scared of that. But if you have a perfect relate, if you trust him, then you won't be. The, the reason you're worried or the reason we become anxious, the reason we become afraid is because there, there's this thing within us that does not completely trust God. We, we, don't, we don't completely believe that he has our best interest in heart for us, right? And so, and so we're afraid of rejection or circumstances. So we're afraid of death. We're afraid of death. We're afraid to die. And so, of course, when Adam and Eve have sinned, they turned away from God. When they decided that they're going to be their own masters, their, their own saviors in charge of their own life, the masters of their own fate, it created fear because, because now what that means is when we do that, when we become our own masters and we become, and we become the, the one that, that drives the car behind the wheel, when we become the one that, that, that are the dictators of our own fate, it forces us to have, it creates fear. It forces us to fear because now we have to earn our own self-worth. We have to earn it ourselves. We have to earn our own self-worth and, and, we have to, and, and we have to earn people's love. And so if we're not constantly getting affirmation and love from people, we just die. We've turned from God. We might even believe God loves us, but we are so alienated from, it that, from him that he's just an abstraction of some kind. And as a result, we are slaves to what people think of us and slaves to performance and we're filled with fear. In fact, we're driven by it. We're so afraid of the future because, because, because now we're our own masters. And we can't control history. We can't control life. 
It's one of the reasons uh, when great tragedies hit us, we, we, we freak out because we realize we're not in control and bad things happen all the time. We're, we're afraid of what might happen, of rejection, of death, of future. We are sore afraid. Adam and Eve were sore afraid as soon as they turned from God. And here's what's weird is when God actually comes to the garden, they're even more afraid. When God actually comes to the garden, they're even more afraid, right? Why? Because everywhere in the Bible, what you see is God's glory and terror. Why? Well, the best way I can think of explaining this is by using an illustration. If you are at a party, let's just say, you're at a party and you're, and you're trying to pose as a rocket scientist, right? You, you, you might be a little nervous, but if a real rocket scientist shows up and comes into the room, now you're petrified, Right? Right? Or, or maybe you're trying to be really proud and smart, and so you get in, and you're trying to you know, feel real intelligent until you get into the presence of somebody that's infinitely smarter than you, right? Or maybe you're proud because you're good looking, right? And, and you're talented until somebody else comes in the room and they're more good looking and they're more talented. Then all of a sudden, it's devastating. We get insecure, we get worried, right? Think about that. If, if, if maybe we're trying to do a job we've been hired for a job that we're unqualified for, right? And then somebody else comes in the room that's much more qualified. We get nervous, we get fearful, we get worried, right? This is what happens. And that's just a glimpse of what it's like when we try to be our own masters and then the real master shows up. When we try to be the one with this facade of we got it all together and we're in control, and then the real being that is in control shows up, now we're like, oh, great, what are we going to do? We're terrified, right? We're worried. And you say, well, you know, I'm, I, even those people that might be here this morning, they're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of religious, you know, or maybe somebody said, well, you know, I go to church. We're still the ones deciding what's right and wrong for us. We're still trying to be in charge, Fear of rejection, fear of death, fear of the future. And when God comes near, we're terrified because his beauty shows our ugliness. His power shows the lack of power we have. His glory shows our darkness. And and we can't handle it. We can't take it. And the angel says, I have a solution. Christmas. Christmas. He says, fear not. Behold. Behold. In other words, what he says is this, to the, to the degree that you behold the things I'm telling you is to, to the degree that you see this thing, to the degree that you understand Christmas and what it means, to that degree, these fears that you have will be undermined. What are those things? A savior is born who is Christ the Lord. A savior is born. If you want to get over the fear of rejection or failure or, and you want to be filled with his love, if you want to completely understand what it is to be forgiven, right? To, to lay down the melancholy burden of self-satisfaction and justification to, and you want to find rest in salvation, then stop trying to save yourself and get rid of that fear. Get rid of that fear. 
What about other fears? How can we trust him with our lives? How can we trust to obey him? How do we know? How can we trust him that things are, that, that the things that are going around us, that are happening around us, that we're going through, how do we know that those things are gonna ultimately be for our good? How do we know that we, that we can trust what he's doing? How do we get rid of that fear? And the answer is a baby born in the manger. See, the New Testament writers knew what they were doing when they used this word, when they called this baby Lord. They knew what they were doing because, because when it came time to translate the Bible, to translate it from, from, from Hebrew and, and Greek into Latin, that they had to make a decision there because every time uh, that the word, that God's name, Yahweh, was used, they had to figure out how were they going to translate that to make it make sense. So every time the word Yahweh shows up in the Hebrew scriptures, when they put it into Greek, what they did was they translated that Lord. What it means is this, that the baby born in the manger isn't just a savior and he isn't just a sage, but that he is God himself. And if God would come to earth and do this, you can trust him. You can trust him. The very child that would make us all children. See, he didn't come just to embrace us, but to die for us. See, the cradle doesn't make sense without the cross. If the tomb isn't empty, then the message of Christmas is. The cradle doesn't make sense without the cross. If the tomb isn't empty, then the message of Christmas is. The, the, the great God in the feed trough, he, he lost his glory so that, we, so that we unimportant people could have glory forever. He lost his peace so we can have infinite peace. There was given no room so we could have room. No room for him in the inn so we could dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do, do you see what the angel is saying? He's saying, you want to stop all fear? Behold, look at Christmas. Look at what he did. Because to the degree that you behold it, to the degree you grasp it, to the degree that you treasure it and ponder it, uh, to, to that degree, those fears will start to, dim will start to diminish. Yeah. Fear not. Fear not. And as though that wasn't enough, as though, as though the, this one little song couldn't say anything more, it does. In fact, it says so much more, more than we even have time to get into this morning. But the song doesn't just talk about how to hear. It doesn't just talk about how not to fear, but to have peace, to have peace. And that's the middle part, the middle section where it says, the angels sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men whose favor rests. Some of you guys think, well, wait a minute, I thought it said something different. Yeah, you got that from the Christmas carol. Uh, but, but actually, translators all agree that, in fact, they're, they're, they're universal on this. The part of scholars actually agree that the Greek text says, peace on earth, goodwill towards all people on whom God's will or his favor or his grace rests. In fact, grace is the prominent word there where his grace rests. 
grace rests. And at first you might be like, well, wait a minute. I thought it was for all people. I thought the Christmas message benefits all people. Listen, it is for all people, but only those who his grace rests does it actually benefit. Only those who grasp its meaning and understanding does the, this Christmas message, does the good news benefit. Only to those people. It says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Luke comes and says this, when you grasp God's grace, one of the greatest benefits, what it means to become a Christian, to grasp God's grace, is now you have peace with God. You have peace with God. One of the most counterintuitive and, and radical and important themes in the New Testament, which you especially can read, and, and you already know this for those of you who sat through the first series of Romans with us, this will become familiar with you, and I'm excited for series two to happen uh, it, it, you know, after, after the Christmas season as we go into the new year. But for those who, who sat through the Roman series and went to the Connects and said, you're going to be very familiar with this because you know that what Paul says there, what, what's being discussed described here is that is that we were at war with God. And see, some of us, in fact, most of us don't actually believe that. Most of us don't actually believe that. Some people say, listen, I may disbelieve in God, or maybe I'm not passionate about God, or maybe I'm indifferent to God, right? But, but most people will not say, yeah, there was a point where I was angry or I hated God. Most people won't say that. But Paul says in Romans that the natural heart is, is enmity towards God. The natural heart hates God. You, we, we hate God. And until we see that we are mad at God, that we are hostile towards God, what Paul says, until you see that, then you don't really understand yourself yet. You don't understand one of the greatest uh, mainsprings of your life. Now, that's a radical statement. That's a radical statement. Paul goes on and, and he says, listen, here's the irreligious person. You guys might remember this. Here's the irreligious. The irreligious person is overtly asserting his or her independence against God, Right? The, the irreligious person is overtly saying, I want to live the way I want to live. That's the irreligious person. But the religious person, according to Paul, covertly asserts his or her independence against God. The religious person says, listen, I'm going to obey the Bible, and I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to do everything I have to do, because that means that now God has to bless me. He has to answer my prayers. He has to give me a good life. What's going on? Both sides are trying to control. Both sides are trying to be the master. Both sides are trying to assert independence. And what Paul is trying to say is, no matter who you are, whether you believe it or not, you are hostile towards God. You cannot stand the idea that he's really in charge and, and that he is deeply committed to the idea of, of his glory. We can't stand that because we want to be in charge. It should be about our happiness. But what Paul says that the mark of a real Christian is, is, is not only have I done bad things. The mark, mark of the Christian says, listen, yes, I've done bad things, but even in my good things, I've done them for wrong motives. I've tried to assert my independence from God. But so therefore, what a Christian says is, I need to be saved. That's what, I, I need to be saved. 
I can't help it. No matter what I do, if I try to do good stuff, if I do bad stuff, it doesn't matter. I need salvation. I cannot do this on my own. Can't do it. And when you say that, when you rest in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and turn away from that in such a way, of, turn away from how you were living or how you were thinking, then, what, then what's happened is this, you begin to glorify God. And when you're glorifying God, you get his peace. You get his peace. Peace. That's the reason Luke can say in this passage that grace and peace go together. Those who have grasped the grace of God, those who have the grace of God, are people who have the peace of God. See, Christmas shows us glory ever ascending from man to God and peace ever descending from God to man. Did you catch that? In other words, when your mind can sing, when your heart can sing, when your intellect can sing, when your soul can sing, the song the angels sing, then you can obtain the peace that the angels are singing about. What peace? What is that peace? What's peace? What do you mean peace? Because here's what we actually need. What we actually need is the peace under the peace. That's what we need. We need the peace under the peace. See, people talk about peace like in uh, peace treaties, right? Or, or in times of that, that people are, are away from conflict or war. And while peace does mean that, the Bible also uses it to, to describe something much greater. Something much greater. The, the Greek word there for peace is are. Are, which means perfect or whole right? It, 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 it's the concept that life is complex, full of moving parts, and if something is missing, that if it is not whole, then, then, then that begins to, to take your peace, your array, your peace begins to break down. That's why uh, when Job was counting his flock and he, said, and he realized that he had all of his sheep, he said, I have shalom, I have array, I have peace, it's, it's whole. When, when, when Solomon put the last brick and finished the temple, he said, I have shalom, there, there it is. I have are. I have peace because it is complete now. It is complete. This is, this is really what, what, what the biblical understanding to bring peace literally means to make complete or to restore. So when, when rival kingdoms began to come together in peace, it didn't mean that they just stopped fighting. It meant that they started having a relationship with one another. Right? And this is so interesting when Isaiah prophesies that a child will be born and a son will be given and he is going to be called the Prince of Peace. Notice what he says. He says, a child is born and a son is given. Not the reverse. Not the reverse. Because, because what, what Isaiah is trying to get us to understand is that this baby is fully God and fully man. And so that way the child is born, but the son is given. The son couldn't be born. He had to be given. But he says this. He goes on and says, but listen, he's the prince of peace. Prince of peace. In other words, he will make a covenant, shalom, a, 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 a he, he will heal. He will restore all that is broken. And that's why Jesus ends up saying, I will give you my array. I will give you my peace. In other words, he's letting us know, you have and I have, we have a broken relationship with God the Father. 
But Jesus says, my relationship with him is whole and, and, and complete. And he says, and I will give you peace. I will give you that restoration. He will restore that broken relationship with the Father. Remember when the disciples were on the ship? And remember when the hurricane came? Remember that? And the ship was being tossed to and fro and back and forth and winds and waves. And the disciples were, there's that word again. They were terrified because the ship was being tossed around and battered. And Jesus of all places was where? On the bottom of the ship, asleep. Asleep. He's like, you know, like my middle daughter, uh, Adeline. That girl can sleep through anything. Waking her up during the week for school. You can't just go in there and say, wake up. You can't just go in there saying good morning. You can't go in there and even just give her a little shake. No, no. You got to grab her by the ankle and you have to pull her out of the bed. Otherwise, she won't wake up. It doesn't matter. There could be an earthquake, a fire, a tornado, whatever. She'll sleep through it. Right? And here's Jesus and he's on the bottom and he's sleeping through this storm and they go to Jesus and they find him asleep and they get mad because they have a preconceived idea of how God should be responding to their situation. They have a preconceived idea of God, I'm going through this so you should be doing this. And because their preconceived idea did not match their reality of who they thought God was and how they thought God was going to act, they got mad at God. And, so, and, and they woke up Jesus. They said, don't you even care? And Jesus, with crust in his eyes, gets up, walks into the top of the boat, and says, peace, be still. And you say, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, Pastor Roger. Yes, that's the kind of peace I need. That's what you say. That's the kind of peace I need. That, that's my life. My life was like a ship being tossed in a storm, and one wave hits, and another wave hits, and another issue, and another problem. And just when I got over this, this happened. And just when that got finished, that happened. And, and you read this story, and you make it an allegory of your life. And you say, yes, I need that peace. I need the storm of my life to stop. I need depression to stop. I need the sickness to stop. I I need anger to stop. I need frustration to stop. I need pain to stop and unforgiveness to stop and stress to stop and worry to stop and anxiety to stop. I feel like I'm battered and emotionally drained and I feel like I'm always having to prove myself and or I'm haunted by my past. I'm haunted about the actions that I did that nobody knows about or about how my dad walked out or my mom died or that abuse happened or that miscarriage that I'm still trying to process or the divorce that I never dreamed in a million years that I'd have to go through or the financial debt that keeps me up at night. You say, my life is like that ship in a storm and I need that kind of peace. But listen, friend, listen. No, what you need is the peace that's under that peace. Broken family, you need the peace under the peace. Tough to sleep at night, you need the peace under the peace. You just, you, we all need the peace that's under the peace. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, as we get ready to respond to the message of Christmas, what we really need is the restoration that Christmas signifies. As I get ready to close, what we really need is the relationship that only the child that was born and the son that was given that had no room at the end can bring that kind of peace.
the kind of peace that is not just an emotional booster shot or a spiritual fix to get you through a tough time, the kind of peace that is not just a temporary feeling that fluctuates and is predicated upon your circumstance, no, 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 but the kind of peace that will outstand all the vicissitudes and all the struggles of life. You want that kind of peace. We need that kind of peace. You want it? Guess what? You can. You can. You know how you can? You know why I, why you can? Because in the town of David, a Savior was born unto you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Look how the shepherds responded. Can we respond as the shepherds did? Can we hear well? Can we fear not? Can we have peace? You can have reconciling peace with God the Father through Jesus Christ because he died on the cross and rose again and he came and he was born of a virgin. You can have that. Do you have that? Do you have that? Can you sing what, 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 what it is the angels are singing? Glory to God in the highest. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Let's stand to our feet and let's receive. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.